Welcome. Uh, as Dave said, my name's Donna. It's lovely to be here with you this morning. And we are in the third week of our series, Whatever It Takes. And I'm looking forward to unpacking some more of Acts with you this morning. But first of all, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Have you ever been part of something that you knew was just God was all over it? That you knew it was him at work in the situation, not you? Maybe you'd spoken some words and you went, oh, where'd that come from? And you realise in the eyes of the other person that that just really hit the mark and you knew it was God. Or have you been prompted to pray for someone and then later on you find out that they needed prayer right in that moment that you were prompted? Or have you heard a story and you've thought, oh, oh yeah, that's, that was God. And you've just really had this sense and an awareness that God was at work and it was more about him than it was about you. Has anyone had that experience? Yes, I'm hoping you have, because as followers of Jesus, I really believe that God wants to use us. He wants us to be available to him. And as we move through these next few chapters of Acts, we're going to be in chapters 3 and chapter 4, I want, to see, I want us to see that God provided some opportunities. Peter and John, we meet Peter and John. God provides four opportunities for them to be used mightily by the Holy Spirit. Now, two of these opportunities come just because they're moving through everyday life doing everyday things, but they had a whatever-it-takes attitude. And the other two opportunities came because they faced opposition. And I think for us as believers, getting our heads around the fact that when we're following God's um, instructions and we're being obedient, not everyone's going to be happy with that. But we don't have to shirk or shrink back from it. God can actually take that opposition and give us another opportunity, whatever it takes, to share the gospel. Are you ready? Yes. Great. Okay. If you want to follow along, we're going to tell the story through chapters three and four. I'm going to read some and tell some. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and I just love this um, translation. It's um, very readable and enjoyable, such familiar language to us today. But it's also very understandable. It just brings it back into real everyday life. So we're going to do that. But before we jump right in, I want to point out that Luke, the author of this book, is very careful to bookend the stories we're about to hear with two mentions of something quite remarkable. Now, I need you to think about these things as also miraculous. He bookends them with descriptions of the lives of the believers living in a unified manner. Single purpose, single mind, worshipping, praying, eating together, fellowshipping together, listening to the apostles, generously giving. This is the framework he wants us to take these stories in with. Is everyone on the same page? Okay, well, I'm going to read a little bit and talk a little bit. So if you wanted, we're going to start in chapter 3. But the start of the story is Peter and John are moving into the temple to pray. Three o'clock church service very similar to what we would do. They've come to the prayer service. And as they come into the temple, they're moving through the gates, coming into the temple courtyard. They come towards a gate called Beautiful. And it's Solomon's colonnade is off to the side. And they come to this gate. As they're coming, a man who's been lame since birth is being carried. Now, he's going to get placed by this gate. It's a very um, obvious place to be placed if you're a beggar. And he's going to ask the people as they're coming in and rely on the fact that they're going to be well um, attuned to him and be pleased to help him. And he's going to ask for something. So you, you're right. You've got the idea. Okay. So I'll just turn my page. I didn't need notes for that bit. <laughs> okay. So they've gone to the temple. Now he's asked, this lame man's been put on the ground and he's, been, he's asking the people that are coming past, he's asking them for money. 
And I want, to hear, I want you to hear what Peter says to him. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then, Jesus, then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet and began to walk. Then walking, leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Opportunity one, number one. That is amazing, isn't it? That is quite significant. Now, I want you to notice that Peter could have responded in any number of ways. He could have given the man money. He could have given the man food or a place to stay. But instead, prompted by the Holy Spirit, Peter gives him Jesus. How cool is that? That is amazing, isn't it? I just love that. Now, as we move through the story, the people are rushing to see. This is an incredible miracle. This man is well known. He begs there regularly. 40 years old, we find out. He's been lame since birth. So the people rush because this is an incredible miracle to see this man leaping and praising God. His feet and his ankles have miraculously been strengthened. He can walk. Not, and Lictos is not only walk, he can leap and run and dance. This is quite crazy. But as, as we hear that as the crowd rushes towards them, this is their second opportunity. Peter and John have opportunity number two. And starting in verse 12, Luke tells us, Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? Well, I don't know about you, but it would certainly have been surprising to me. <laughs> Like, what's so surprising about this? Well, actually, he was lame and now he can walk. That's quite a surprise. But Peter acts as though this is very commonplace. That's, that's crazy. But I love that they, he links it. He goes on and he gives this speech to the crowd. This is an opportunity. He gives this amazing speech to the crowd. And he links this miracle with the death and resurrection and the power Jesus has in his name. So verse 16, we'll jump back in. Through faith in the, this is Peter speaking, through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Wow. Now Luke tells us on a little bit further in chapter 4 that um, there's now about 5,000 people have come to faith. So we knew that there were about 3,000 people had come to faith just in the previous speech Peter had done, a little bit before in chapter 2. Another 2,000 people have heard this. Could you imagine preaching in a colonnade or in a temple courtyard? No microphone. And 2,000 people have seen this miracle and heard Peter and John give Jesus and the power in Jesus' name all the credit and all the glory, and 2,000 more people come to faith. That is an amazing opportunity. Peter saw it and he took it. He was bold. Now, as we move into, I'm going to skip his long speech. He quotes lots of Old Testament and it's great. He confronts these people. He doesn't mince words. But Jesus, you crucified, God raised. He lays it on the line and he is just says it as it is. It's wonderful. But as he's speaking, when we jump into chapter four, as he's speaking, opportunity number three will come up. But it comes up because he's going to face some opposition. So this is chapter 4, verse 1. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guards and some of the Sadducees. Now, just pause quickly. 
by my count, as we move through chapter four, there's 11 different groups or people or interests represented in this opposition. 11 that have all come towards these two people and are all coming to squash this and shut it down. They were intending to intimidate. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. So the Sadducees, very famous group of people, were very much embedded in the idea that there was no resurrection. And how dare anyone come along and stand in their temple and say that there was. They were going to shut this down. Verse 3. They arrested them and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. Everything about this was intended to scare them, to intimidate them and to shut them up. They were going to do everything they could. They had every power that Peter and John would have acknowledged has come to say no. And then they've been put in jail. And remember, these are the same people that not very long ago arrested Jesus, had a mock trial, took him to Pilate, had him flogged and crucified. Peter and John witnessed this. They know what could happen, but they don't stop. Okay, we're going to move through to the next morning. Verse 5. The next day, the council of all the rulers rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Skip to verse 7. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Don't you love that? It's the very question they were arrested for. It's the very question they were put in jail for. They said it loud and clear the day before in Jesus' name. This man has been healed. The man you crucified, the man God raised from the dead, this is the name. And here these religious leaders are thinking that because they've had a night in jail, they'll be scared, they'll be shaken in their boots, they're going to be quiet. Don't you wish? Not a chance, not a chance. Okay, we've got opportunity number three. Still going, still going. Peter, this is verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he's healed? Don't, can't you hear that? Do you want to know? Really? Like, as if you don't already know? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men. They also recognized them as the men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see that the man who had been healed was standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred amongst themselves. What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. How cool is that? Everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. Don't you think it's funny? They've asked the same question. They're hoping for a different answer. They get the same answer. It's in Jesus' name. By what power in whose name have you done this? They've tried their darndest to scare them, but it hasn't worked. Now, if there was ever a time that these people were going to deny the resurrection, this was it. If they had anything up their sleeves, if they could have proved it in any way, they would have pulled it out here. 
They had nothing. They had nothing. These religious leaders actually knew the truth of what Peter and John were saying. They just didn't want to hear it. But they knew it. They say to themselves, we can't deny it. This miracle has been done in Jesus' name and all of Jerusalem knows it. They don't deny that Jesus was dead and now he's alive and in his name something miraculous has been done. Isn't that mind-blowing? They don't deny it. Now, if you think back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, do you remember what Jesus said? Wait here. You're going to receive power in my name. You're going to receive power to be my witnesses, to tell what you've seen and what you've heard. How amazing. Just a couple of days later, we see this unfolding. This exact thing that Jesus said would happen is happening. They are bold and they are standing there preaching in his name. Now, in this temple courtyard, there would have been people from all over the world already. They're already hearing about Jesus. Okay, we're going to, um, as sad as it is that these religious leaders have ignored what they've said, they're going to move back into what they're going to say to them again. So to keep them quiet, they've threatened them again. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. They can't. It's burning up within them. Now, they get released. They can't do anything. They threaten them further. They, they try as hard as they can to scare them, but they don't want to riot. They know that if they do anything to these guys, all of Jerusalem will erupt. Everyone knows about this miracle. So they release them. Now, Peter and John have opportunity number four. This is great. As soon as they were freed, so I'm heading into verse 23. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John, <coughs> excuse me, returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, <coughs> excuse me, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. How amazing is that? That's their first response, is to pray and to praise God. Now, what they do is they pray through Psalm 2 and they apply it right here. They take the idea that nations may rage. It doesn't matter what power rebels. God is still God and the whole world is going to bow to him. And they apply it right to this moment. They go on to pray and they say, And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Isn't that amazing? They're not praying for the threat to go away. They're praying for a bold response to it. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with boldness. What a great story. What a great story. I just love that this whole thing started with something very ordinary. Peter and John were going to the temple to pray at the normal time, doing something they normally did. But it wasn't a normal day. They had a willingness to be used by the Holy Spirit, underpinned by a rock-solid faith that Jesus is able to do anything. They didn't give the man money. They gave him Jesus. And they could have only done that if they really believed that Jesus was going to do something about it. Sorry, I've lost my spot. Four equally astounding miracles from four opportunities 
two of them directly from opposition. A layman is healed is the first one, as Peter and John went about their everyday life. A huge number of people came to faith in Jesus in the temple. This is the Jewish temple. They've come to faith in Jesus. And Peter gives Jesus all the credit for the miracle that was done. Number three, the religious leaders are unanimous in the acceptance of the resurrection and power that's available in Jesus' name. Even when obeying God, we might face opposition, but Peter and John chose to see it as another opportunity. And then the last one was that the believers were united in prayer. Now, this to me is quite miraculous. They've just had a big scare. They faced this massive threat, but they've come back together. This is just as miraculous. They're united in prayer. And what they've done in response is to not ask for that threat to be taken away. They've asked that God will give them more boldness. And God answers their prayer. The meeting place shook, obviously shook. And then they went out and continued to preach with boldness. This whole story is absolutely incredible. But often when I approach Acts, I don't know about you, but when I approach Acts, it's very easy for me to put it in the box of that was then and this is now. Anyone else sit there with me? That was then and this is now. Oh, I believe God's still working. I believe that. I believe that he hasn't stopped working, but he still wants his people to be witnesses of him in all the world. He wants that. Of all that we've seen and heard, he wants us to preach his name boldly. But it's so much easier to read this or to apply this when I say they and them, not me or I. How about you? Same? So much easier when I say they can do it. God can use them. Sure. Absolutely. I'll cheer them on. When it's me, oh, not so sure. Does the thought that God might want to use you to perform a miracle scare you silly? Because it scares me. What about fill you with anxiety if you had to speak to a crowd of 2,000 people? I'm nervous enough with you and you're friendly. I couldn't imagine 2,000 people, especially not knowing that plenty of them weren't friendly. And you know what? I'm fearful that God will show up if I ask him to. What would I do then? That's just as scary as the thought that he might not show up. That thought that something surprising might happen. Do you know what? Sitting in the back of my mind is also, also the thought that I might mix up what God's saying with what I want. And then I might get it wrong. Or that I might say something that hurts someone or shipwrecks their faith. I've got to get over all of these obstacles before I can get to and whatever it takes attitude. I read Peter's speeches and I know I'm not that eloquent. I read of the miracles and I'm not so sure that God wants to do that today. All of this goes around and around in my head. But I've settled on this. Whatever God is doing, whatever, I want to be a part of it. I don't want to miss out. I want to be a part of it. And I, in my arrogance, are going to have to step aside and not put God in a box. I have to be able to say in humility, God is God. God can do whatever he wants. Wherever, whenever, however, with whoever, because he's God and I'm not. 
If God wants to do something that's outside my comfort zone, then I'm the one who needs to change, not him. I don't know what I might be asked to do or say or go where I should go. If I perceive it to be big or little, but you know what? It really doesn't matter. I want to be a part of the gospel story being shared with whoever God wants to share it with, however God wants to share it. I need to be willing to have a whatever it takes attitude. To get there, I need to have a whatever it takes willingness to obey. But to to do that, I actually need to acknowledge all the fear, all the doubt, all the worry, all the anxiety that sits there for me and bring it to God. I need to ask him to use me, to empower me. My willingness to obey is my choice. But it will be fed or starved by every other choice I make in life. Whatever else I do will feed or starve my willingness to obey. But you know what? You and you at home have the same choices. The same. We all sit in the same boat. As we choose to spend time with Jesus, in his word, in prayer, in worship, he will shape us and he will make us useful. Peter didn't start off eloquent. His speech was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And everyone was aware that he and John had been with Jesus. That was the qualifier. They'd been with Jesus. Peter was so quick to ask the crowd, why are you staring at us as if it was by our godliness or our power that this man was healed? We didn't have anything to do with it. It was Jesus. Doesn't that take the pressure off? The same Holy Spirit that worked through Peter and John is working today. He's the same Holy Spirit. Peter and John were filled with this Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Remember, Pastor Dave talked about Pentecost last week. The believers were filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. But Luke writes two times in chapter 4 that they were filled again. And I don't think it's because they were leaking and needed to be refilled. But my understanding is that it was both a continuous process in the life of a believer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm using other scripture, Ephesians 5, where the verses are very clear that the word is a continuous process. It's not a filled once and done. It's something that happens in an ongoing way as we abide in Christ. The Holy Spirit continues to live in us, to grow us, to shape us and make us like Jesus. He grows the fruit of the Spirit in us. And the regular spiritual gifts that we use every day, um, we can often put them in boxes, but the regular everyday gifts, you might know someone who's really spiritually gifted with the gift of organization or hospitality or speaking words of encouragement. You might know people that use those gifts. But there's sometimes, I believe this is a, a both, not an and or, I believe that sometimes God gives people a spiritual gift or an ability that is for a particular time, for a particular place, for a particular reason. And it normally is for a task that they wouldn't normally do, like preaching to a crowd or healing a lame man. Many of us will be comfortable, even mostly comfortable with the first concept. Most of us will be uncomfortable with the second. I know lots of people who can testify to the work of the Holy Spirit in their everyday lives, me included. 
I can tell you, in my early 20s, I was the most sarcastic person you could ever meet. And my sarcasm was hilarious. But it was mean. Often I would cut people down. And those less gracious around me would laugh. But the person I was hurting didn't find it so funny. And it wasn't until someone who cared deeply about me came along and said, hey, do you realize this is a problem? To me, it wasn't. It was funny. But it wasn't until I took that to God and I said, I can't change this without you, Lord. Well, if you know me now and you know me then, I very rarely even see something now that I would have been sarcastic about before. I'm different. Now, to me, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. That is not something that would have happened on its own. I would have gone on and I probably would have lost friends. I would have hurt a lot of people and I would have damaged my own spirit as I didn't hold people up as valuable and worthwhile of blessing and encouraging, using my words to bring healing and hope and not cutting people off. That to me is a great testimony of the work of the Holy Spirit. But as we were talking about this idea through the week um, with other people, I heard two amazing stories of the second type of work with the Holy Spirit. And I want to share them with you now. The first one is, many of you may remember a pastor who used to belong to the Baptist church called Mark Holt. I'm hoping he will come in a couple of weeks to our big celebration. Well, there's a story. And if you see him personally in a couple of weeks, you can ask him if this is true. Jeff Jordan's shared this with me. Apparently, Mark was on a missions trip and he was with somebody else um, serving. And the other person that he was with started praying in an unknown language. But what he didn't know was that the language he was using was the language the people group they were with spoke. And his supernatural ability that he didn't have before and didn't have after to speak this language led to a lot of people coming to know Jesus. That's, that's amazing. That is amazing. That's something we're celebrating. And the other story was from Pastor Trina, and it was from Pastor She Knows. Now, this gentleman was the only Christian in his family, and his mum had cancer. And he felt very prompted to pray for her. So he did. He prayed for her. Now, the next morning when she got up, the cancer that was very obviously on her face was gone completely. Now, that's amazing. That's, that's mind-boggling amazing story and he very quickly thought mm, I've got the gift of healing and God said no you don't you've been used by me to be the conduit of my power to bring healing and I think that's such a great attitude to settle on if we're going to embrace it, whatever attitude takes we need to remember that it's not us it's all God and it's always about Jesus bringing his name glory Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14 and 13 and 14 and in Romans 12 about these more spectacular gifts. And he uses the words quite frequently, eagerly desire these spectacular gifts. Now that's something I probably need to be reminded to do, to eagerly desire them because I'm a little bit afraid of them. But he says eagerly desire the more spectacular gifts. But he's so careful to couch this and surround it in terms of why. It's to build up the church, to bless people, to encourage people, to be a witness to non-believers. There's, there's all about this, and it's not very much at all for our own personal blessing. It's about being a blessing to others. And he sums it up, though, especially in Romans 12, with the call to pursue love and to desire love above all else. 
we can be so careful that we don't want to chase the spectacular that we shrink back from it. But we can also chase the spectacular and miss loving people or giving Jesus the glory. We, we need to avoid both ends of those extremes and go down the middle of chasing the God who is spectacular. As we chase him, as we are open to the work of the Holy Spirit, allowing him to do whatever he wants, however he wants, we can give him all the glory and leave ourselves out of it. Anytime God chooses to use us in these spectacular ways, we can be so confident that it will be to bring uh, uh, his truth to people that haven't yet heard it or his glory, or it will be about the Holy Spirit working through us. Each of us, as we move through life, will be presented with opportunities for sharing the gospel. All of us. But our opportunities for the Holy Spirit to be at work in us will be as unique as we are. Most of us, I would be tempted to say, will not be walking down Solomon's colonnade and see a lame man and be prompted to pray. That's probably not going... Well, Dave's about to head there sometime soon, so he might. But the rest of us, probably not. But as we move about our everyday life, we will be faced with opportunities for God to be at work. Opportunities and opposition, which is still an opportunity. Here in Australia, we're very unlikely to be put in jail for a miracle that's been done or for preaching the gospel even. It's very unlikely. But we can shift our thinking if someone's unhappy with us, someone's doubting, we don't have to worry about that. We can keep our eyes focused on Jesus and know that it's all about him. Embracing a whatever-it-takes attitude today means not being carried away by the spectacular miracles, but instead pursuing the God who is the God of miracles, the source of power, and we can desire love above all else. We can let go of the worry that others will think we are crazy and that the doubt that we might have that God might show, not show up or the fear that he will show up. We can move through our everyday, ordinary lives open to the idea that the Holy Spirit might be wanting to use us in a way that we would find surprising. And we can become comfortable with the idea that if we're obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, not everyone will be happy about it. Pastor Trina said, how we go is just as important as where we go. How we go. Are we going through our lives willing and having a whatever-it-takes attitude? Embracing a whatever-it-takes attitude to share the gospel isn't going to happen by accident. But I have an idea on how we're going to do it. I think the clue is the way the believers prayed at the end of chapter 4. The worship team, I'm not far off the end. If the worship team want to come back up, that would be great. We can only do this if we ask God to do it for us. It's the only way we're going to be able to have a whatever it takes attitude. And it's the only way we're going to be able to be open to it. And it's the only way we're going to see God at work is if we do it. At the end of the story, the believers prayed with one heart, unified in asking the Lord to move through their city with healing power, miraculous signs, and wonders being done in Jesus' name. They were all filled again with the Holy Spirit, and the place they were meeting in shook, and they went out and continued to preach with boldness. We can pray like these believers. We can ask for the same things. And I'm hoping that when we close in prayer in a minute, that you will join with me and that you will pray too. 
that this would be something that you're willing to say yes to today. But which of these attitudes is going to be a challenge for you? Where do you really need to see God at work today? Have you got a colleague or a friend that you've been putting off sharing your faith with? Maybe it's a relative and you're worried about the reception or whether it will wreck a relationship. Have you got a need that only God can meet? Is there something that sits in your life today and you know that without a miraculous intervention, nothing will change? Is that you today? Do you know someone who needs healing and you've not prayed because you're worried that God won't do it? Well, I want to give you the confidence today that if you pray prompted by the Holy Spirit because you really sense that that's what God's asking you to, then God will do that. But if not, then pray whatever you want, Lord, because that's a great prayer. Whatever. And are you being prompted today? Because this is what I want you to pray. (laughs) Are you being prompted today? I want a whatever it takes attitude. Whatever, Lord, I'm all in. All in. I'm going to hold nothing back. I'm going to walk through my days with my eyes wide open to the opportunities you're putting in front of me. That's what I want us to be praying together with one heart, one mind, one voice. Because if God's moving through this place and there's a couple of hundred people and you guys at home, then this city will look different. Give us another 170 years and this place will be so different. Let's let this place shake. How good would that be? Would you pray with me today? Father God, King of kings, Lord of lords, you alone are worthy of all glory, honour and praise. Lord, we long for the day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess the name of Jesus. Lord, would you give us a willingness we've never had before to be used by you to tell your story. Take away the fear that so easily holds us back, Lord. Fear of what others will think, fear of the unknown. Thank you for the power you have given us by your spirit. Lord, make us bold. Whatever it takes, use us to lift the name of Jesus high. Use us, Lord, to bring your light to dark places. Use us to bring healing. Jesus, we love you. We praise you and we worship you. And together we pray this in your mighty and precious name. Jesus, we praise you. Amen.